some of the updates that we saw from two companies today. And let's maybe start off with ShopRite. Um, they came out and uh, I guess gave us some information about how their different segments performed. What, what did you make of those numbers? Yeah, it looks like the, the supermarkets uh, are doing uh, very well. And sadly, from, if you look at the other retailers, it looks like they continue to gain share uh, against them in the market. Uh, I think where they were struggling a bit was on the furniture side. I think the furniture business uh, came under uh, quite a lot of pressure uh, with actually uh, sales going backwards. And I think the recovery in the liquor uh, business also uh, helped to some extent uh, that, you know, they are able to, to sell uh, again the, the liquor. But certainly a very good set of numbers uh, uh, in this update. Yeah. Robert, we know these guys, you know, uh, play at different segments of the market uh, or different, yeah. I guess, income profiles. Um, and I'm quite interested in your assessment of how, you know, the different offerings, checkers, you save and others performed, uh, you know, over the six months ending to Jan 2022. And what, does, and what that might tell us, I guess, about, um, you know, consumer spending patterns um, in a retailer that certainly is a dominant one in many of the markets it operates in. Absolutely. I think, I think when you look at the, first of all, across the board, I mean, the, the inflation wasn't much uh, across the board. I think it was uh, 2.6%. If you compare that to what was reported by SETSA recently, it was about 59 uh, So So there is a slight uh, price differential uh, in terms of uh, what they were able to put through in the, in the price. But uh, the, the, the way it matters is in the volumes. If you look at the the checkers and hype uh, and checkers hyper, I mean the, there was quite a big increase in sales there. So so they did about 11 percent uh, increase in sales, and you compare that to the short time and you save so which uh, uh, the the lower LSMs. Certainly uh, the growth that came through was only 7.3 percent. Again, that just highlights. The pressure, in my opinion, uh, that came through from things like the impact of COVID, uh, uh, sectors like tourism and all those uh, 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 that were hit by, by COVID, the impact uh, downstream on the individuals, because these are like sellers of food, and, and we see uh, divergence in the growth patterns, and the higher LSMs are doing much better than the lower LSMs. And, and, and when you look at that, I mean, alongside some of the numbers we saw last week sometime, I think from, you know, the, the food division of one of their comparators, uh, if I can say that, I mean, uh, Woolworths also came out with some numbers for their food div- division, which probably didn't look as good as they have in the l- past few years or so, where that division has effectively carried. Uh, and a lot of competition between, I guess, the Checkers offering, Checkers Hyper has been with, I guess, the, the um, about really clawing back or even gaining some market share away from Woolworths. What do you make of how the upper end of the segment has performed in relation to some of its competitors? No, absolutely. I, I think uh, Checkers has up their game, uh, 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 or ShopRite has up their game in the Checkers and Checkers Hyper. Uh, and they are certainly uh, putting the likes of Woolworths uh, under pressure. I mean, for example, they never used to be big in the uh, convenience food uh, category, and they entered that category. Uh, quite meaningfully in the last, uh, say, 18 months. And they are seeing some uh, 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 headway. They're making headway in, the, in that area. So so I do think that they are gaining share in that area. 
But it's also, there is a bit of a trade down uh, as soon as they add their game to in terms of the quality of the merchandise. What has happened is people have started moving away from Woolworth that has just been relying on inflation. Uh, so price inflation, pushing prices higher all the time, uh, and quality being stable. Whereas ShopLight actually improved quality, but the price is relatively better than uh, what, what uh, you'd pay at, at Woolworth. As a result, mm. we've seen some shift towards uh, ShopLight, uh, the checkers brand, uh, as a result of it. Yeah, and I guess, you know, they always benefit from the scale economies that come uh, with, uh, you know, a strong asset base upstream distribution centers, the logistics that get all the products uh, to their stores. Uh, but let's maybe just talk briefly, I guess, about, you know, their performance in some of their, you know, non-South African operations. I mean, uh, we're seeing a lot of disc- discontinued operations, uh, be it in Uganda um, and, you know, in many of the other markets, uh, you know, I think Kenya, Uganda, Madagascar. Um, I mean, talk to me about their foray into the continent uh, and, and I guess your own assessment of it, uh, where it does seem, much like many South African corporations, uh, they come back to the home market with their tails between their legs. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I think there was uh, an era when ShopRite really was being a, a liked by uh, local and international investors for the Africa uh, component that it was offering a lot of growth uh, via the Africa uh, uh, environment. And if you look at it uh, a lot closer. What was happening at the time, and it was at the time of uh, Whitey Basson, uh, what was happening was the, the environment, uh, the commodities environment in the run-up to 2008 was very favorable uh, to African economies that produce uh, uh, commodities. And post that, what has happened is, I mean, we've seen the likes of Zambia defaulting, currencies uh, blowing out because the fiscus uh, came under pressure. They couldn't hold it together. And what then happened with the new management was they looked at it and said, you know, they, I mean, they've had to classify certain countries as discontinued operations, the likes of Kenya, Uganda, Madagascar. And they then looked at whether they are viable because inflation is rising so quickly. As your currency blows out, your, your inflation picks up speed, especially if you're importing a lot of goods. So by the time the thing lands on the shelf, they, when they keep the price the same, they would actually make a loss. And they, th- that's where the problem is really, uh, mm. has been really coming through for them. The fact that inflation was uh, spiraling out of control and they were starting to make losses in those operations. They, they classified them as, uh, as discontinued operations. So they're looking to exit some of those uh, uh, regions and, and basically have a smaller footprint in, in in Africa, and I think they said they'll end up with, uh, uh, or at least they are at 235 stores, but mm. I expect that to come down. Yeah, yeah. Look, they also have these other operating segments, which make up less than a tenth of their sales. Uh, but I guess, you know, the whole point is to try and pick up, you know, whatever value you can garner from, as I said, some of your supply side efficiencies, uh, Transfarm, Medirite, 
uh, checkers food services, which, uh, you know, uh, services the hospitality uh, sector, CompuTicket, uh, all, I guess, recording a very strong sales growth. Um, but, um, I mean, talk to me just about MediRite and TransFarm. In a context where you've got a pandemic, but you're also trying to build out, I guess, your last mile delivery to the home. Uh, one would think that, you know, this particular segment would have benefited greatly uh, from some of what uh, ShopRite has tried to do in terms of getting that last mile distribution right. No, for sure. I, I think it's also trying to take advantage of the footfall because the customers are already in your store. And what you are trying to do is to also uh, capture their pharmaceutical uh, demand, uh, so, so the, or the pharmaceutical spend. So the the Mary, Mary right and transform. Uh, they, they said the sales growth was notably higher than the the, the previous six months, but I, I think it wasn't as good as they they expected. Uh, and hence they didn't go into too much detail about about that element. But the the opportunity is there for them to continue. Uh, pushing harder on the pharmaceutical uh, business uh, in that it would give them uh, an extra uh, margin on the same infrastructure, as you quite correctly point out, that they've got scale, you've got a store, and maybe there is underutilized uh, store capacity or space within your store. And what you are trying to do is to basically take advantage of that and bring something that is like a regular uh, product that can move. And I think in the long term, that, that business, the pharmaceutical business, should do well. Uh, I have no doubt about that. But it's a question of what is moving now, what do they have in the, in the stocks. Mm-hmm. Now, while ShopRite's furniture operations didn't do as well, uh, you know, core furniture group here, Lewis Group, uh, seeing a rebound in credit sales uh, and uh, yeah, 16% increase in credit sales, but also merchandise sales also up 12.7%. I remember looking at an operating update from them uh, just close to this time last year, where uh, certainly their credit sales uh, probably didn't do as well as some of the cash sales that they had up front. Well, what do you think has accounted for this? I mean, just the rebound um, in uh, both their credit sales and um, uh, also, I guess, some of the revenue um, in effective interest and uh, the insurance they charge on that credit. Yeah, I mean, you, you've touched on all, 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 all of the things. Uh, 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 I, I think the one point to highlight is that, I mean, they did do well on the cash side. I think they did about... Uh, 16% uh, uh, growth. Sorry, uh, they did about 9% growth in in, um, in in the cash sales, but the credit sales were were much higher. And typically, the the retailers that have a credit capacity and all often think about them as uh, having a bank and a retail uh, business. What they would do is, when times are tough, they would relax the credit criteria a little bit to actually still enable mm. the retail business to generate sales. And then at the later stage, uh, they then tighten the criteria as the economy improves sure. or, or things get better in the economy. Uh, and I think what what we are seeing here is that they did try and uh, uh, relax the criteria, and that came through with quite a significant uh, uh, amount of uh, late payments mm. and unpayment. And I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they, they did say that they, they were only collecting, collecting about uh, 80% of their uh, revenue, the money that they should be getting from their yes, credit sales. Yes. They're only collecting that.
We certainly have seen in the last while, I mean, a lot of work they've done in trying to improve that debtor's book. But, but I mean, I'm quite interested here. This is an update for nine months through to December. But I'm interested in that last third, um, and I guess the three months to December 2021, when we compare that to pre-COVID numbers in December 2019. Uh, sales up by 20.7%, if you're comparing December through last three months through to December 2019 uh, to the comparable period in 2021. I mean, uh, that's a massive rebound. No, it's a rebound. And I think it is to be expected to some extent because you've had all the things like the unrest and the, the impact of lockdown starting to die down. People are going back to work. And some people who didn't have income would now qualify for credit. So, so the, there is an element of um, the economic dynamics, if I could call it that, that the, the, the economy is starting to reopen on one side. There is also an element where the that pent-up demand is met with a, a slightly accommodative credit criteria, and, and the thing takes off. So, so I do think that they, they manage that balance very well uh, this time. I mean, I have always been a skeptic on uh, credit retailers, but they seem to be doing very well. And, and I think that they've done well to actually bring in a cash sales business that enables them to generate debt for the bank if I could call it debt, uh, that funds the, 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 the credit book. You know, Kwame, I guess there's two things um, that you probably don't want to see if you are anticipating a bumper harvest. The one is much more rain than you least expected uh, or much more rain than you would ideally want. And then I guess the second one is a supply chain crunch insofar as some of your critical inputs are concerned, especially if you're in horticulture, grain production. Uh, and it seems the latter, um, massive uh, constraints in accessing inputs and massive price surges uh, in those inputs, fertilizer uh, as the main one, is certainly going to have a massive ripple impact over the coming months on food prices. Well, absolutely. Uh, I think that the, the supply chain uh, challenge reaching effect uh, across uh, all spheres of the, of the economy. And, and certainly the agricultural sector would probably uh, feel the pressure because they, as a country, for example, we are a net importer of fertilizer. And the prices Kwabe, of... Kwabe, we pa- we're battling with that line. Uh, Zulake? Uh, fertilizer. Zulake? Our- up significantly as a result of the supply chain disruptions. We are basically putting those things at inflated prices and as input. And then on the other side, as you quite uh, correctly pointed out, if you're getting a lot of rain... Ah, Zulake, Kwabe. We're battling there with your line, my brother. So, so hold the line there for me and hold that thought. Uh, we're going to try and reestablish our uh, connection with Zulake Mguni on a much better line.
Yeah, 27 minutes it is after 7 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. It's our wrap of the top business stories. I'm joined by Zola Kemguni, Chief Investment Officer and Co-Founder at Benguela Global Fund Managers. And uh, Kwabe, just before we went uh, uh, to that brief break to re-establish our connection with you, you were just mentioning, I guess, why uh, the main root cause of the surge in the prices of fertilizer has to do with, I guess, where we source this fertilizer uh, and some of the global supply chain challenges of getting any product. Uh, to its destination markets. Correct. So, so, so if you look at the fact that we are a net importer as a country of fertilizer and the prices of things like uh, ammonia, uh, uh, things like uh, uh, there, there are many other things that, I mean, I, I can't put my mind to it at the moment, but like glyphosate, I think glyphosate is one of the other ones. Yeah. Yes, that, that, that's that's what it's And I think the, the the prices have gone up. I mean, there are estimates that vary, and other people are saying thirty percent, others are saying up to fifty percent increase. And if you think about that being a significant component of the cost of production. Uh, because if you don't fertilize, your yields are lower and you, you're not going to get far. So the guy fertilizes and then the farmers fertilize and they try and get the higher yields that way. So, so if you look at that, that, the fact that the costs have gone up so much, that creates a massive input cost challenge. The, the, on the other side, the, the, there has been these torrential rains that are good, but Potentially, they are creating an enhancement to the yield, which is that there would be a, a more than expected uh, production, which would then put a downward pressure on the selling prices of the produce. And the downward pressure on selling price of produce versus the high price of input cost would create a squeeze for, for the farming communities. Uh, Basically, the margins come under pressure as a result of that. So that creates a tension for the next cycle because now the farmers, either they made marginal profit or they just made a, 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 a marginal losses, then they need to replant for the next year. I mean, the balance is not looking good again. And, and so, so it, it can create a dynamic where we start to see food inflation climbing as a result of the shortage of supply after this cycle. So we might have a good uh, cycle now, but the next cycle then comes under pressure, and the farmers have had to absorb the, the, the input costs. So, so certainly a quite, quite a difficult uh, environment for, for the farming communities. Indeed, indeed. And, and you know, Zulaki, I mean, I guess the, the other interesting dynamic here is how this filters then into food prices, and by extension, how it filters into the cost of credit for many credit active consumers which was a big part of what uh, the Monetary Policy Committee, uh, you know, was announcing today. And, uh, you know, only one uh, of the uh, members, uh, I guess, uh, you know, clearly uh, saying let's keep rates unchanged. And uh, uh, the other three members, you know, uh, pushing for this 25 basis point increase. Uh, talk to me about what drove this. I mean, on the one hand, it might be, I guess, the expected price trajectory of, uh, you know, food, uh, fuel being a chief among those. I mean, we've seen a massive rebound in the Brent crude oil price. Uh, we saw it, you know, around the, the $20 barrel mark um, in the height of the hard lockdowns we saw across the world. And it seems that prices have recovered somewhat. And uh, those have also, I guess, recovered with 
the inflationary expectations of those uh, who make decisions on interest rates. Correct. Um, I, 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 think, I think the the if you look at where inflation is in South Africa, like I think uh, it was around 5.9. If you look at that level, it's still within the band. But I think what the, the, the Reserve Bank said, they're looking forward, and, and there are two things. the food prices that are rising. There is the energy prices that are rising quite aggressively. So on food price, we just touched on the fact that the input costs have climbed uh, uh, for the farmers, and that, that, that tends to feed into inflation because now there's a producer inflation that they need to recover from the consumer. The second thing is the energy prices, which has a far more reaching effect on the economy because it then has like a second-round effect. When energy prices, whether ESCOM or the price of rent uh, go higher, I mean, ESCOM has applied for uh, quite a substantial, I think it was 25% increase. But on any scale, that's a significant input cost to our household expenses. The second thing is if you look at the energy cost, we drive around, we, the, the uh, economy uses a lot of uh, uh, fuel in the logistics. So, so that, that increase is also significant because it's going to feed into the, the cost of food on the shelf in the shop. So what they are doing is they're looking forward and saying, well, we need to, to also uh, be ahead of, of the curve uh, because they don't, we don't have the luxury like the, the U.S. where we can be behind the curve and catch up later. And there is another element that I think they didn't talk about where there is the expectation that the U.S. would hike rates. And naturally, that would then uh, pull money away from emerging markets uh, because now the yield is slightly uh, more attractive in the U.S. and you get the, the, the stability of the currency. When that happens, our currency and other emerging market currencies tend to come under pressure. And when they do, uh, your inflation tends to spike because of the imported fuel uh, uh, mm. component, the imported fertilizer component that, we, that we're using, uh, imported uh, components in the economy. So we are on a good day. We are actually a net importer as a country, and that mm. automatically puts the rent under pressure because there's more rents being sold than dollars that are being uh, uh, received. So as a result of that, I think they look forward and they tend to, to manage that whole uh, uh, situation ahead of time. Kwame, mm. I guess many people are asking this question, which is, you know, you, you are still very much in the cusp of, uh, or still, I guess, much within a once-in-a-century crisis bat- that has battered, you know, uh, disposable incomes of households, battered demand conditions in the economy. Much of the inflation that you see is transmitted inflation on the supply side, due to all of these, these things that you've mentioned, least of all administered prices and fuel. Um, I mean, many people are asking themselves, is it the right call to make now uh, to, to raise interest rates when, you know, the relatively accommodating environment is what I guess, you know, uh, might potentially give not only relief to households, but might trigger some investment in secondary industry as well? Look, it's a, I think it's a valid uh, criticism. Uh, but I also think what they are worried about is do you allow inflation to spike to the point where it's ravaging the, the very 
low incomes that people are getting for those that get incomes? Or do you try and keep inflation in check? And, and the truth is, it's the higher LSMs, and, and, and I think your, your, your uh, uh, stories today, I mean, they, 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 they're quite connected, but if you look at the higher LSMs, they are the ones that are driving consumption, for example, in the likes of uh, checkers. Mm. And if you could increase the, the rate, they are the people that have bonds that, uh, uh, that whose uh, vehicles are bonded, the, the, the houses are bonded. If you could increase the inflation, the rate slightly, that might actually lead to them uh, tempering on their consumption and therefore creating an environment where inflation doesn't spike out of control and have the, the, the poorest the most. It is certainly a fine balance. Is it the right time to do it now? I guess the, the fear is that if once the U.S. hikes, the, the rent uh, loses ground and inflation starts kicking in and you're fighting to basically rebalance that inflation. Yeah, it's, it's a very tough balance to strike. Um, but maybe just, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I certainly would not want to be uh, some of the folks there in uh, the Monetary Policy Committee, Chris Lowell, you know, Fundi Chasbana, uh, Rahad Kasim, and, uh, you know, the uh, uh, governor of the Central Bank as well, um, especially at this moment where, you know, you have to strike this balance between giving the necessary relief and stimulus uh, to industry, uh, where I guess the cost of capital is a big consideration. But also, Kwabe, what do you make of the forecasts that came out? I mean, some forecasts com- coming through on not just you know, growth in South Africa, but also some expectations uh, of the pace and the scale of you know, a return to a quantitative normal or a return to like a credit normal in many of uh, you know, the key markets across the globe. We've seen a lot of you know, accommodative monetary policy in the last while, injections of liquidity. And uh, it seems the central bank is foreseeing a much more rapid and faster reversal of that policy position. Correct. Uh, and I think for me, that, that's probably where, uh, an area where I think we could argue that they could be making a slight mistake uh, in that now they are pacing themselves to the fact that the other guys are actually uh, withdrawing their, their stimulus. And the concern then is that you, your economy, our economy structurally, we're in a much, much weaker uh, uh, situation. There's no plan to get this economy out of the rut it is in. Uh, and by actually looking around and saying, well, everybody's starting to, to uh, take away the very accommodative uh, stance, uh, they are being worried about the impact that that could have in terms of the currency channel. So, so if everybody's hiking around the world and even if your economy is not well and you, you are just hiking to try and keep up uh, so that you don't create inflation via the currency channel, I, I do think that um, that could be criticized to some extent. Uh, but the, the pace at which they want to go, I, I do think that it is a bit uh, a, a hasty, in my opinion. I think, I think it, it's quite a, a, a sharp pace that they, they're looking to, 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 to raise rates yeah. uh, in the forward-looking period. Yeah. Zolaka, before I let you go, what would you have done? I mean, how would you have voted? 
<laughs> easier to say what they they did wrong or, or what I think. Uh, it's easier wrong, to say when there's I, no pressure, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do think that I mean now that they've signaled that they will be they'll be quite uh, steadfast in in hiking. Maybe the signal itself starts preparing people to be more in their consumption behavior and the use of credit. Mm. And maybe they don't end up having to do that much. I think maybe the, the signaling component that is often understated, uh, the value of it understated, is that it might encourage consumers to basically uh, pull back. But I, I, will, I would have probably delayed the rate, this, this rate hike, maybe one more cycle, uh, mm. to, to, to basically see that the, the inflation has breached above the, the, the 6% mark. And especially given that employment is in such a terrible state, and if, if the cost of funding uh, starts increasing rapidly, which entrepreneur is going to get credit or is going to go look for credit to basically start a business and employ two or three people? Mm. It, it makes it difficult. So I would have personally liked that they delay maybe one round and get the inflation to breach and use that as a basis. But I think it's a yeah. forward-looking uh, perspective that they use to basically hike the start. Mm. I, I, I don't know if my own sort of vote would have been fundamentally different. I probably would have only, uh, you know, uh, factored in a rate hike or consideration of a rate hike in the second p part of this year. But um, yeah, I guess the quarterly projection model and uh, the discussions in the MPC moved in a different direction. And uh, we're going to have to leave it there. But uh, we're going to be following quite closely uh, the ripple impact of this decision on uh, many uh, industrial and other activities in our economy. Kwabe? As always, a pleasure, my brother, uh, to have you on the show. And thank you very much uh, for taking time out to speak to us. Thank you, Aya. That there was uh, Zuela Kemguni, Chief Investment Officer and Co-Founder at Benguela Global Fund Managers. We take a brief break now. When we come back, uh, we speak to uh, Tariq Jenkins. He's the High Commissioner of the Goringai Koanakoi Indigenous Traditional Council. Yeah, we're talking about that uh, Amazon development there on the land adjacent to the Lesbiak River. Stay tuned.